and welcome to another edition of St. Paul's Letters to America. I'm your host, Ray Gerard, with me in studio, Mr. Bob Enigas. Bob, welcome once, once, one more time. Good to see you, Ray. It's, it's always a pleasure to be here, and thank you for c- continuing to invite me back. So this is the program that um, considers a, a letter from St. Paul uh, every week, and we ask, well, you know, these— ideas that that St. Paul has in his letters, uh, can we apply them to what's going on in in our country today? I mean, what if St. Paul himself were alive and wanted to write a letter to help us in America deal with what we're dealing with? What would he tell us? Well, you know, it might be a good idea to just look at the letters that he already wrote because they uh, they would invariably be of help. And that is if, in fact, uh, he was on the right track, if he knew what he was talking about, if he had some connection with the truth. Because if St. Paul wrote the truth, then um, what he wrote would help us today, and it wouldn't change from place to place or century to century. So with that in mind, what are we going to talk about today? Well, we're going to talk about Disney. We're going to talk about Disneyland, not Disney World, but Disney Disneyland, the originally original Disney theme park out in California, first established in 1955. Now, if St. Paul were alive today, would he have an interest in a theme park? Uh, this time, I think he might. Um, there is a new attraction at the theme park out in California. It's not really a new attraction. It's actually an attraction that has been there since the very beginning, uh, but they updated it, they renovated it, and a lot of people have a lot of praise for what they've done with it, except a couple of people writing for this publication, online publication called San Francisco Gate. We're going to tell you what they had to say and what we think St. Paul would tell us about it. So um, what should we start with first, Bob? Should we start with Disney or should we start with uh, St. Paul's letter? Always start with St. Paul. That's a, that's a great way to go. Okay. I, that's a good answer. That's, a good, that's why we got you around. All right. St. Paul tells us, Workers, obey your human bosses in every, everything, not only when being watched as currying favor, but in simplicity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, do from the heart. As for the Lord... And not for others, knowing that you will receive from the Lord the due payment of the inheritance. Be slaves of the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will receive recompense for the wrong he committed, and there is no partiality. Why do we mention this? What is involved in this? Well, you know, it's an interesting, interesting passage, isn't it? Interesting reading, isn't it? Do whatever people tell you. Now, we on this program sometimes take a little liberty with St. Paul's letters, and we sometimes update them, modernize them ever so slightly. In this case, we modified two words and two words only. St. Paul originally wrote, slaves, obey your human masters. And so we updated it to say, workers, obey your human bosses. But whether you're talking about slaves uh, and masters, uh, which was common in, you know, a couple thousand years ago. There were lots of people, uh, some kind of indentured servitude. And whether you're talking about the situation in America today, well, a lot of people, you know, have to, you know, go to a job every day and do what the bosses tell them to do. The principle is the same, uh, which is 
you can gripe and you can complain and you can be upset about what you're being forced to do. Or you could do it with a cheerful heart. You could do it with God in mind, as if what you're doing when you, you know, do disagreeable work, but do it with a, with a pleasant uh, kind of mindset. If you offer that up to Christ, you're doing it with a good heart. Your intentions are good. Um, and you have a focus on, on, on God, and that makes it easier. You know, Jesus said, hey, you know, my, uh, my, burden is, my, my yoke is light, my burden is light. Um, and that's, that's how it works out. Uh, so, and, of course, it's even more powerful when you consider that he was writing this to slaves and saying, hey, even if you were in that, you know, a very you know, dramatic kind of condition in life, you can still, you know, not, you don't have to be resentful for your position in life, for the, you know, the lot that, uh, you know, that, that's been cast upon you. Um, you know, I mean, whatever you do, uh, God can help you, you know, if you, I mean, God can help you sustain anything and, and, you know, what they say, look on the bright side and, and it can get you through. You know, Ray, when, when I, uh, for myself, I work construction um, as a young kid to try to make, uh, make ends meet and to um, make enough money to go to college. I tried to save money, and so working construction was great. And there were different groups of people there that were working. There was folks like myself that pretty much followed what you just said. I got there. I went to work. I had fun with what I was doing, and I worked my tail off, and the end of the day would come. And it's almost when working that way, it's like I'd blink and the day was over because I would go to work. I would joyfully do what I was doing, and time would just fly by. I literally would all of a sudden blink, and it was time to go home. And then I had a couple buddies of mine that were upset with me. They said, you're, Bob, you're setting the bar way too high. You're getting too much done. You're working so hard. you got to quit doing this. And so I was with them for a day and sort of followed their instruction. The day took forever. <laughs> it was hard work hiding from the boss and not doing anything. That's, so, it, so in about one day, I figured out this is terrible. I don't want to do this. And the fact that you're doing it joyfully, the fact that you get to the end of the day and you feel good about yourself, all of that said, boy, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm doing what God wants. I'm doing what my employer wants. I'm giving him, you know, I was getting paid well, and I was getting a fair wage, and I was getting those things done. And it always made sense to me to give it all you got, and the day goes by in a hurry. You just, you're, you're there, you're done, you're pleased with yourself and the work you've done. Just got to be the right way to go about things. So supposing you were a slave, and you had a master who was barking at you to do this and do that. And supposing every time that master did that, you responded with something cheerful, something positive, uh, something friendly. Would you call that a charitable spirit? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Char charitable absolutely. spirit. And if that's the case, then in this passage from uh, St. Paul, in this short, little, small passage— we have the three theological virtues. We have uh, faith, hope, and charity. Charity we just covered. Uh, faith, I mean, he talks about Christ, being slaves of Christ. I mean, there's obviously, you know, it's his belief of God that he's telling people you can rely on 
to even under trying circumstances, you know, still have this charitable heart. And then there's also hope in here. He talks about the inheritance. Um, there is going to be a reward, you know, for your charitable acts, your loving act. I mean, another word for charity is, is love. I mean, it's the same spirit that guides both. So faith, hope, and charity, those three, the main, the, the, the three main powerful theological virtues in this one small passage. Is he connected with the truth? I would say perhaps yes. Now, all that said, what in the world does any of that have to do with Snow White? This is the ride at, at Disney uh, Disneyland that has been updated. Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs. And there's a lot of praise for what they did. These, even these writers in San Francisco Gate talk about the fact that it's really good, that it's true to the 1938 movie, uh, that it preserves much of the charm of the original ride from 1955. Um, they explain that when Disneyland just reopened, now after 400 days of being closed for COVID, the wait times outside the, the new renovated you know, Snow White ride were consistently the highest in the park all day. Talk about its major upgrade, new audio, visual technology, new animation systems. The imagery is stunning. On and on it goes. A lot of praise for what they've done. However, in this uh, publication, San Francisco uh, Gate, uh, you get a clue that they're not, you know, just full of, of nothing but praise for the ride because the title of the piece is Disneyland's New Snow White Ride Adds Magic but also a new problem. How could you have a problem with something as sweet and innocent as a storybook, you know, tale like Snow White and you've got all this wonderful new technology and the imagery and the colors? And well, they'll explain. It's hard to imagine, Ray, because if, if I remember right, and I remember taking my kids and reading the kids this story, you know, she's got Bluebirds sing it, sitting on her on her right, on her right. shoulder, and they're right. all singing together. No, and you take the kids on this ride, and you know I'm a I'm a bit of a frugal guy, and so I worry about money. That's all engineers are, and then I, it comes from my family and and where I where I grew up. But I can't remember another day where I gladly reached into my pocket and gave Disneyland whatever they wanted. My kids were so happy when they were there. This place is magical. It just stunning and i would give whatever whatever was needed because my kids were having the time of their life it's a place where they just love to be because you can put the world aside yep. and you can oh man you can just dive into this magical fantasy world where all the dreams come true is oh, absolutely you know, isn't, that what, isn't that the motto isn't yep. that the slogan yep um well okay we will explain here here's uh, here is the problem the new problem at the end of the ride uh, they recreate this scene where the prince, Prince Charming, nice name, nice guy, Prince Charming comes and plants true love's kiss on the sleeping Snow White. Why is she sleeping? Because she's been put under an evil spell. Poisoned. Poisoned yeah. by the yeah, witch, yeah, right? Yeah. Um, anyways, so uh, according to, here's, I'll just, I'll read straight from the article. The new grand finale of Snow White's Enchanted Wish is the moment when the prince finds Snow White asleep under the evil queen's spell and gives her, quote, true love's kiss. Close quote. To release her from the enchantment. A kiss he gives to her without her consent. 
while she's asleep, which cannot possibly, in italics, which they have in the article, which cannot possibly be true love if only one person knows it's happening. They continue. Haven't we already agreed that consent in early Disney movies is a major issue? Teaching kids that kissing when it hasn't been established if both parties are willing to engage is not okay? It's hard to understand why the Disneyland of 2021 would choose to add a scene with such old-fashioned ideas of what a man is allowed to do to a woman. That's the problem. I got a question. I, I, I'm, I'm sorry. I, I, just, just a small little question. But if part of the fairy tale is that she's un, under a spell, that she's asleep from which she will never wake up from because of this evil queen that's cast her under this spell— how are you supposed to get her consent? I, I, it's, just a, it's just a minor question. I mean, she's never going to wake up unless Prince Charming gives her true love's kiss. But if she never wakes up and you can't consent, you can never give her the kiss. So guess what? She's going to be under the evil spell forever. Um, I, you know, I, that doesn't – I don't – how does that work? Pretty, pretty, pretty hard. I, I, you know, the, I, I guess the other thing that – is just a little bit shocking, at, at least for me, is um, when I dated, which was both quite some time ago. Somebody agreed to date you? Yeah. Can you believe it? That's hard to imagine to begin with. And then <laughs> then uh, after a lot of years you of know, marriage— you, you can throw that kind of stuff back at me sometime. Yeah, I, I, I'll try. <laughs> after, after I was— uh, I've got a long-suffering wife of 35 <laughs> years. <laughs> she's, she's, uh, that, that takes some doing for somebody to stay with me that long. But anyway, go ahead. So— I went say, back, if you won't do it, I'll do it. I have to do it to myself. There, there we go. There. I uh, I was back on the dating scene after having gone through a divorce, and I'm not a phenomenal dater. I'm an engineer, right? That's the, those two are mutually exclusive. Oh, now you're going to do it to yourself. Right. <laughs> mutually exclusive. <laughs> but in all of the girls that I dated, young ladies, um, and when I would give them a kiss, and it usually took me a little while. I'm not a you know uh, Don Juan or anything. I I would give them a kiss, and I don't remember once asking for their consent. What I do remember is wanting to see how they felt and would only return the kiss. If they would re return it to me, that was a good thing. If they wouldn't, then that was that, and, and it was over. So I tried to watch in them what is their response, but I never asked them. In fact, I think if I had, that would have been my last date with them, <laughs> if I had asked them for permission for a, for a kiss. And it wasn't, I wasn't, pushy or difficult know. or anything else. I just but it gave can it be, a try. It, it can be endearing if somebody asks, you know, may I kiss you or something. I mean, it can be, you know. It could be. It can be very seen as very respectful. I mean, so, okay, so you're you're some kind of of, of antiquated male beast. Oh, That's absolutely. Okay. That's okay. No doubt. Um, well, anyways, um, there's there are multiple problems, I think, with this view. Multiple deep-seated problems with this view. How do you take... What is it? What what are you thinking? What do you have to be thinking to find such dramatic fault with a kid's fairy tale that generations have grown up with, and people have not been bothered by until now? It's it's been seen as sweet, as beautiful, and now it's not magical. In fact, uh, magical. So mm -hmm. why why and. Is the view that people have today the correct one? Or is the view people had when we weren't so awake or woke um, or conscious of other people's feelings, 
it, you know, is, it, is the view from decades gone by, is that the more correct view? Where does the truth lie? And if we're searching for the truth, can St. Paul, specifically the letter that we quoted today, give us some help? In fact, it can. And it can from those, based on those three theological virtues we talked about. Let's explain. What's involved in this opinion? Well, number one, I would say there's a stark humanism involved in this. And this is why. They say if you can't give, it cannot be, and these are their very words, it cannot be true love's kiss. It cannot be true love. They use the word truth. We're looking for truth. They use the word truth. It cannot be true love's kiss unless you get the other person's conscious consent. Okay, so that means there is no true love that exists independent of the two people. True love as a thing can't exist by itself. It's only the two people that can create it. Well, I got a question. I got another question. I've asked, I've asked one question. I'll ask a second question. Why can't there be love independent of people creating it? Where does, in fact, where does our desire to love come from? Um, you know, I mean, you could, for, I mean, for example, um, there's a lot of unrequited love. There's, I mean, there are a lot of storybooks about, I mean, poems, um, people, you know, just love songs, all about unrequited love, love that is not returned, a heart that's breaking because they love somebody, but they, they're not loved back. And in fact, now, does that love not exist because it's only in the heart of one person? Is it not love? Is that person not feeling love? Uh, because, you know, like I said, it's only on one side. Um, how about our relationship with God? How about the whole Old Testament? How about, how about 2,000 years of, you know, so many people uh, living af after Christ? There's been, how, many, how many tabernacles around the world uh, do not have people kneeling in adoration? How many people have gone away from the church and choose not to receive communion anymore? Any, anymore? Is there, are there any examples, any, any, anytime, anywhere, of God's not, love not being returned in equal fashion? Oh, my, excuse the pun, oh, my God. Well, I exactly right. It, and for us, we know that God loves us unconditionally, no matter what we do. So if he loves us and we return his love, he still loves us. If we, he loves us and we spurn his love, if we push it away, if we don't want it, if we say, no, I don't desire this, he still loves us. And when we come back and we open that door and we say, sorry, Lord, we do love you. We're sorry. We made a mistake. Even if we don't say we're sorry, we just want to come back. He is more than happy to do that. He loves us unconditionally. St. Paul's um, words on love itself is love is patient. Love is kind. It is God's love that he is describing, and it is always there and will be forever and God's love is certainly there. Why don't we just, um, you know, copulate like animals? Why, why, why does it have to be this affection between, you know, a man and a woman, um, you know, who get married? Why, why does it have to be an affection? Why don't we just, 
you know, just just go through the physical act, have, have you know, do the sexual act, and just why do they have why do they have to be feelings with it? Where, you know, another way of putting the same question: Where does love even come from? Why do we even feel a desire to love or to be loved? Where does that come from? Yeah, and I I believe it has to come from God. That's why it's there. It's it's God's love that He's given us. Does it exist outside of us? Does it exist before us? I mean, is it is it simply something that is that becomes that that, that that's evolved? That it's now part of our chemical makeup, or is it something? You know, uh, something, something that just you know, something spiritual or spirit-like. That, you know, I mean, is it physical? I mean, you're you're an engineer, Bob. Is this something that we can? Is love something that you can reduce to biochemics, or you know, or is love something different? Way, uh, way different. I mean, way different. First of all, engineers don't know crud about love anyway. <laughs> so if that's not the us. case, and of course. You know, John says that, you know, God is love. If, you know, if that's the case, if love isn't simply purely physical, um, if there's something more to it, if it's something independent, something, you know, I mean, um, then God's part of this equation. Oh, excuse me, there goes one of those three theological virtues that we're talking about faith now, right? Um, if you believe in God, um, okay, so now God's entered into this picture. So, you know, there's this, this humanism, uh, this humanistic idea of, of, of love and relations, you know, which has no place for God. I mean, it's purely humanistic, purely humanistic. Um, secondly, what about the intent? What about the intent? Does intent matter? They're complaining what you can do. Like what's, what's, what's the phrase they, they use? They say an idea, you know, all the ideas of what a man is allowed to do to a woman. Okay. So when a man has love and caring and compassion for a woman in his heart and he kisses somebody without their consent, is it always bad? I mean, were you, Bob, were you, you've kissed somebody without asking first. I have. Um, lots of people, you know, have. I would think it's probably the more the way, way, way more the exception than the rule for somebody to ask, may I kiss you? That kind of chivalry kind of a thing. I mean, that's, you know. But anyways, um, you know, um, you know the, the, is, is, does it matter what the person intends? If... You know, if you're complaining about what a man is allowed to do to a woman without their consent, wouldn't you? Wouldn't that be something that you would complain about when someone's doing something unwanted, something nasty, something aggressive, something hostile? Uh, isn't that what really what we're talking about? If somebody's got nothing but love and, and caring for the other person in their heart, does it make a difference? Does it does it matter what they intend? If they're if they have good intent. Or bad intent. If they give somebody a kiss, but with pure, but with a pure loving intent, uh, or they give somebody a kiss with some malicious, aggressive, violent intent, does that not matter? Oh, it has matters everything in the world, uh, as as we talked about, or as I described before. As I would give a young lady a kiss, right? I would immediately 
be trying to ascertain, was that something she desired? And if it's not, stop, cease, desist. Certainly if she said something, I would. Or even if it was the kiss wasn't being returned, I would immediately stop if but she's I mean, not if feeling she, that way. Sure. Right? I mean, if, if, I mean, if you're going to kiss somebody, sometimes it can be very quick. But sometimes you can be approaching somebody slowly and the person on the receiving end, that, that's, I would guess in a lot of those cases, kind of – and kind leans of can into fig- it, kind of right. figure, can kind of figure out what's coming, right? And can back away, right? You know, now you could do it very abruptly and very quickly and surprise somebody, but a lot of times, you know, maybe you know, not necessarily. So, not the case, you know. But so this is this intent business. Um, why is it more truthful to suggest that intent does not matter? Certainly, here in this case, Prince Charming. Has nothing but good intent for this person. I mean, this is true love's kiss. He loves her. Um, he's got the best of intent, love. True love. This is true. This is not just, you know, an everyday kind of love. This is true love. Um, it doesn't matter. He's still a bad guy. He shouldn't have done this. Um, that's, that means intent. In order, in order to maintain that this is wrong, in order to maintain that there is a problem with this ride now, with, with Prince Charming and what he's doing, you have to say that the purest of intentions, the true, you know, not just love, but true love, that's not good enough. And what that means is intent does not count. It's not like it doesn't count a little. It just simply doesn't count, period. And if intellectually, philosophically, we now live in a world of people where what you intend, whether it's good or bad, doesn't matter. We're in an amoral world. Morality is based on what you intend. Absolutely. So, so now we've got um, the second of these theological virtues involved. The third, you know, this theological virtue is charity. It's love. That's intend. If you care for somebody, if you have love in your heart, you intend good for them. You you are charitable to that other person. It's the only time you're charitable is because you intend to do something nice for somebody. It's what's in your. You're doing something from the heart. It's all intent. It's all intent. Um, so that's number two. Okay. Do we have a third? Can we find a third here? As you might guess, uh, you, you know, you might take a wild guess that I'm going to come up with number three, and you're not going to be wrong. Um, all right. So we've got God. We've got love. What about hope? What about hope? St. Paul talks about the inheritance of eternal life. Um, how can we find that in true love's kiss? Well, look at it. I mean, isn't this just simply a metaphor for that? I mean, look at it. Here she is. She's cast under an evil, evil, evil spell. Good, evil, evil. Um, What is the home base for evil? Hell. Who lives in hell? The devil. Um, Does he live there temporarily or for eternity? Um, what's the opposite of hell? Heaven. And guess what? You know, what about what if you get to heaven? Well, you're going to live there for eternity. This is evil. The he, she is under an evil spell. 
She is asleep. This is, uh, this is akin to being dead. And if you're dead underneath an umbrella of evil, that's not a big of a jump to understand that maybe you're talking about, you know, being under, uh, you know, be, you know, dying under an umbrella of sin and going to hell. And what happens to her? She comes to life again. Why? When? When she receives love. Oh, my goodness. Let me guess. Now, is this a big stretch to draw uh, an analogy to the resurrected Christ and our chance to live, uh, to come to life again after having received the love of Christ? This is right here, people. This, This is the third element of this. Instead of death... This woman comes to life because of love, and we come to life eternally uh, when we all deserve sin. You know, we all deserve you know, damnation because we've all sinned. But instead, because of love, because of the love of God, we can live again as well. I mean, these three things are here. So unless St. Paul, who believed in faith and in love and in hope— Unless he's wrong about all three of those. Now, I mean, he could be wrong. Is he wrong about one, but right about the other two? Is it? All three of them are here. And this opinion that appears in San Francisco Gate takes the opposite view on all three. So in order to buy into what San, Fr- the San Francisco, these authors of this piece in San Francisco Gate are selling, you have to believe that Paul was wrong on all three, and they're right on all three. And instead of faith, hope, and love, instead of— then we've got death, and intent doesn't count, so now we're don't, no morals, and we live in a purely humanistic world with no God uh, or nothing that exists outside of what we create. Um, I don't know. Which one would you rather pick? Um, it's we got to understand this. These are not small ideas that are involved in these criticisms. It may sound nice. It may sound fine that, hey— you know, all we're fighting for is the rights of women to give consent and not have things done to them without their consent. That's not what this is about. And what's being sold here, if you apply that to this situation, is a denial of, uh, of love and of God and of, and of hope for something better to come. I mean, if you're going to criticize this story and apply, you know, a, a standard and a criticism that is used on rapists, I mean, that's really what we're talking about. You know, uh, you know what is, what is, the, what is the, 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 the ultimate case of somebody doing something to a woman without her consent? You're talking rape. Okay. You can apply the standard for why there shouldn't, should never be any rape to Prince Charming and Snow White? Seriously? What's involved here is deeper than just standing up for the woman's right not to be raped. What's involved here is a denial of Prince Charming and Snow White and true love and a hope for people to come to life with love. There's a denial of the three theological virtues, denial of faith. This is, this is huge stuff. And it may seem fine, and we may gloss over it. Ah, somebody just doing. But look at what we're doing here. And when you do, when you peel back some layers, what you find is this is wrong 
on three fundamental levels. Their criticism is absolutely appropriate when there's any kind of aggression or violence against a woman without her consent. It's not appropriate in the case of a fairy tale involving true love with Prince Charming and Snow White. I'm sorry, it's just not. Right. And, Ray, it is always wrong, whether it be a young man and a young woman together for a kiss or any place where you are forcing someone to do your will. That is not at all correct in any fashion. That shouldn't be done. It can't be done. And we need to protect people from that, right? You cannot force your will on someone else. But just as, as this is the case. But that's not what we're talking about here. This is not Prince Charming forcing his will on Snow White. This is trying to throw out all the wonder and the sweetness and the goodness that is Disney, that is this story. Uh, it's, it's just going at it in a different, different way. So I heard Peter Kraft uh, one time uh, give a talk where he was aligning uh, these three uh, theological virtues, uh, faith in God, um, hope, and, uh, and charity or, or love, with truth, beauty, and goodness. Truth, beauty, and goodness. Um, if you believe that God is real, then God is the truth. Jesus said, if you believe in Jesus, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. So if you don't believe in Jesus, that he is the truth, um, okay, that you, you can believe that, but it's a denial of Jesus, right? Um, goodness, well, that's love. Um, you know, the... the, the you know, the best, the highest form of goodness, it's love. What about beauty? What is more beautiful than the hope of eternal life in heaven? What could be more beautiful? Heaven. What does heaven mean? That word, um, you know, what does it connote to people? And the most beautiful, idyllic, blissful, you know, uh, you know, terrific experience you could imagine. Um, isn't that the thing that, I mean, would you not, if you got, what are you going to hope for? Wouldn't the best thing that you could imagine, just stretch your imagination to the farthest extremes and hope for whatever your imagination can come up with. Well, isn't a word for another word for that like heaven? Well, I, I think those all, at least my understanding, my reading, all that I believe says that we cannot, we cannot imagine anything close to what God has in store for us for eternity. Our minds are too defined and too they're not powerful enough to understand the wonders and the joy that God has in store for us in eternity. We, we can't do it. We're feeble in comparison to the love that he has and the love that we're going to feel from him. And we get glimpses of that. Every once in a while, you hear people talk about that they have this experience, this experience with God, and they talk about it with wonder and greatness, and it was the greatest moment of their life, and they remember it. And that it was for a very short period of time and was probably sorely lacking compared to what true happiness in eternity is going to be. God has that waiting for us, and what a wonder that is. We, we, we don't have the capacity to understand. You know, I saw, I saw a uh, 30 for 30 program on ESPN the other day, and it was, calling, it was talking about the Miami Hurricane football program, which was a powerhouse program in a span of like 20 years or whatever. They won five national championships. I mean, it was a powerhouse program. And then it went south. And it went south. Um, they got you know the, these huge penalties imposed on them uh, by the NCAA. And there was this one particular booster 
um, who uh, gave out a lot of money to a lot of the players. And he, uh, he was indicted and thrown in federal prison. And he had, there's a guy who was being interviewed on this program who worked with this booster. And he talked about when he had a lot of money and he had the, the you know, I think it was a Mercedes Benz or whatever. He had, a, you know, he had a fancy car and he had this and he had that. He had all these things. And I guess he got implicated. The, the program wasn't really clear, but I think he got implicated by this, this, this federal criminal, you know, prosecution. Maybe he, you know, was let off because he, you know, because he was a witness or I don't know exactly, but he was not in jail when he was doing the interview for the television program. But anyways, he was talking about his experience with this guy. And this, this like, I mean, they had money flowing out their ears, but this guy got prosecuted because it was all based on fraud. It was this huge Ponzi scheme. That's how he accumulated all his money and then tried to throw it at the players. So it was based in criminality, and he ended up in jail. And this guy worked for him, uh, and he said, you know, during that time, he said, I had all this money, but I wasn't happy. I wasn't happy. Um, so, you know, yeah, I mean, what you're talking about, Bob, it's it's – it's the same story. You hear it over and over and over again. True happiness cannot be found in the purely secular human world. So if you have pure humanism, you have a situation where intent doesn't matter, you have a situation where Snow White has to remain in a death-like condition, you have these things, what is it a denial of? It's a refutation of truth, beauty, and goodness, faith, hope, and love. I mean, do we, do we understand that if we accept this article and what they're saying, that that's that we we're denying truth, beauty, and goodness. Who would vote for that? You know, but you gotta you gotta peel back the layers. You gotta understand what's being done here. Now, if in fact, now it was interesting. I, I did a little bit of a search online. There's a woman who accused the current president of a sexual impropriety, and it was serious. Um, it involved um, it involved activity which anybody could call a crime. Um, if in fact she didn't consent to it, now that's what she claims. Um, but she was not asked ahead of time. This was not a kiss. This was a heck of a lot different than just a kiss. But she was not asked ahead of time. So if this allegation was true. And we don't, you know, mean to suggest it is or it isn't. We don't have to get into any kind of an argument or debate on whether it is true. But there is the allegation. Is that worthy of a story? If you do an online search, if you do a Google search, or I used, I used Google, Google and then another search engine as well, DuckDuckGo, and uh, you came up with the name of this woman who the accuser, uh, the accuser, Tara. Her name is Tara Reed. And if you did uh, an online search for San Francisco Gate Tara Reed, I came up with no results. So they do a story complaining that True Love's Kiss by Prince Charming is worthy of an article because it's an example of what's wrong you know, in 2021 with these antiquated ideas that it is a problem, but you don't do a story on Tara Reid? Is that not upside down? What kind of reality is that? Is that kind of a, is that, is that maybe a, 
a way of looking at the world that denies truth, beauty, and goodness? I mean, is there an order to this or not? If it's, if it's connected with the truth, there would be order in this. There would be consistency with this. If it's not, then things would be upside down. And in an upside-down world, an actual case of real criminal sexual assault would garner at least as much attention as some fairy tale thing about true love's kiss and Prince Charming. If, if it's ordered, it, you know, you'd find consistency there. If not, then what you've got is the only way to describe a situation where the Snow White thing gets a write-up and the terrorid thing does not, if there's any kind of order to our values and morals, is that we've got them upside down. And so, you know, what, what I believe we're dealing with is a situation where our moral, you know, our moral system is, I mean, it's hiding upside down. You talk about humanism, you talk about intent, you talk about in death, H-I-D. You're talking about something that's hidden. And certainly in this criticism of Snow White, we find what's hidden an upside-down system of morality where truth, beauty, and goodness are denied, where something with purely pure love as the intent is complained about and criticized, while at the same time other stories that involve real bad intent, if the story is true, doesn't get a consideration. It's an upside-down world. You've got a morality that denies truth, beauty, and goodness hiding as something that, you know, is only respectful of women's rights. Um, it's crazy, but, you know, if you're trying to explain and trying to understand how is it that people can get to the point where they can criticize this fairy tale ending, which everybody, I mean, at the end, everybody's happy. She wakes up, she loves the prince, it's a, they lived happily ever after, it's, it's good. It's goodness. But no, that's never going to happen. She's going to stay in a death-like state. Truth, beauty, and goodness, you know, uh, hiding. Hiding. I mean, it, these people are going to say, well, look, we're, 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 we're standing up for a pure morality, the highest kind of morality where women's rights are respected to the utmost. But what we find is something different. Truth, beauty, and goodness are denied. Love is denied. God is denied. Hope is denied. It's, um, and I, I would imagine that these, I, I would guess, maybe these authors don't even understand that. Why, well, maybe they, Ray, their intent, right? Is their intent anywhere close? Well, if their intent is to protect women, then it's a wonderful thing. One, sure. of the, uh, sure. one, of the, one of the greatest things in the world, as far as I'm concerned, is the protection of one person for another. In fact, that's what Jesus did for us. He saved our lives and that he died for us so that we could attain heaven, right? Jesus saved us. He did that. And for us to be heroic, to take care of others, as a parent takes care of their child, as a wife takes care of her husband, or as a husband takes care of a wife, these are all wonderful things. And every one of us should have the right to say no when someone 
pushes himself you, you, on us. You better. You, you, you better. better. If it, we don't have that right so, as a society, we're in trouble. Right. So what we've done, this article, not we, but the, the San Francisco gate has done, is it's taken something to absurdity, right, and taking something wonderful and saying because it has some weird semblance to um, somebody forcing themselves upon someone else, it has to be stopped at all costs. And that is not the case. The fact of the matter is men should not take advantage of women. Men should always be worried about their feelings and concerns, especially if you want a relationship with women. You should always be worried about who they are and whether they desire what you desire as well. But you certainly, you certainly don't want to say that we can outlaw everything in absurdity and take away all that is good because of their position, because they're trying to outlaw this wonderful thing that is Prince Charming and Sleeping Beauty. They're destroying it. Somebody's fallen down a mine shaft. They're unconscious. Um, you know, uh, you climb down the mine shaft and, um, you know, you perform CPR on them. Uh, I mean, what, I mean, Bob, when somebody is like, or yeah, somebody's like in a car accident and they're lying on the road and you come up to them and, uh, or somebody falling in a pool, you pull them out of the pool, they're not breathing, you perform CPR on them. I'm sorry, it, you, you can't, you know, you can't, you know, intervene medically, you, you can't, you know, touch somebody, you can't, you know, go lips to lips. Uh, they, they didn't consent. I, you gotta let them die. I mean, this, this is silly. It's absurd. This, this it's is silly. It, it's this, an absurdity. Right? Silly. There are lots yeah. of cases where you can find out where you can't get someone's consent, but you but you do something anyway for the good of the person. You bet. I mean, there's lots of cases that you can come up with for that. So if you can't do good because you can't do the consent, you can't get the consent, then you have to allow something bad to happen. That's upside down morality. Well, sure. Every every parent, when their children are small. Every parent loves her child, at least everyone that I knew loves her child, with great desire and wants nothing but the best for this child. You don't ask the child for consent before you, the mother breastfeeds it, right? Or before you go and give the child a kiss on the forehead when you're putting them to bed. What a wonderful, beautiful scene that is. You're putting your child to bed. You tuck them in, they're cute, they're adorable, you make sure that their blankets are the right way, you make sure everything's correct, and you lean down and you give them a beautiful kiss on the forehead, knowing that you love them with all their heart and you want with all your heart and you want nothing but the best for them. You don't have their consent for that. No child can give you that consent, can't do it. Sleeping Beauty can't give you the consent because she's asleep. It's not a horrible thing. So what are we supposed to make of this article? Are these people... Uh, sarcastically making a point? Are they not serious about this? Um, I don't think so. They say there's a problem with this, with this theme park, that we're teaching kids that you can kiss somebody without their permission. They have a real problem with this. So if that's really so, then they've got to know that you're denying something good to somebody because you can't, because you can't get their consent. You're denying something good. How, do we under, how are we supposed to understand how they come to that point in their thinking? How do you understand that? And if they don't believe 
that you know you can do something good for somebody if you can't get their consent. Um, if they don't believe that, then there's got to be something fundamental about their thinking that maybe they don't even realize. Um, and that's why we take this explanation at the very fundamental levels. It's about your intent and whether intent matters. What's the difference here? He meant well for this woman. He loved her, but that doesn't matter. We're in an amoral world where intent doesn't matter. It's gotta be something fundamental like that. And that's why we're still reading St. Paul 2,000 years later, and I hope to God we're not reading stuff like this article out of the San Francisco Gate 2,000 years from now, because, you know, if Paul's right, um, then intent does matter. And living in an amoral world is not what we ought to be hoping for. Um, so, anyways, but now, is this just maybe, hey, just a couple, you know, two authors on this one piece that just you know, crazy thing, they're just a little off the wall, but, you know, uh, they're kind of alone in this sort of thing. Well, how about, you know, courts in California saying strip clubs can be open for indoor customers during COVID, but churches can't be? Is there something upside down about that? We could spend a lot of time talking about that. How about a law that was passed in Australia 2000, uh, two, excuse me, 2000, <laughs> I'm still on 2000, uh, two years ago, which uh, made abortion legal, but the same week that they passed uh, that law uh, making abortion legal, uh, this was in New South Wales, which I guess is the territory of the Australian capital. Um, that same week, they passed the Animal Sentient Act, which declared that animals are sentient, sentient beings with intrinsic values and rights. Sentient beings, they feel pain. They feel, you know, uh, they're, they're, sense, they're sensi, sensible um, uh, creatures. Um, and this same law made it a criminal offense to fail to provide food, water, and shelter for your pets. Criminal offense to do that. And it was a criminal offense not to groom them so question, if an animal can feel pain, does it not matter if an eight-week-old fetus can feel pain? Uh, but you can, you know, so, I mean, animals now can have more rights than unborn children. Uh, can children not feel pain? Are unborn children, are they not sentient beings? Is this not upside down? How do you explain that unless... There's something fundamentally uh, askew with how we're looking at things. How about uh, David DeLayden? Here's a guy who took these undercover videos of people engaged in illegal acts. They admitted on videotape that they were selling un the, the, the body parts of unborn babies, selling them for money. And it is grotesque, it is gross, it is disgusting. The, the language, the actual language that is used and how they looked at this and they laugh at it and they joke about it, that's uh, illegal. Um, apparently it's legal if you cover your expenses 
and it's, you know, you're selling it for research and you're not trying to make a profit. So you can sell them for money, but as long as you're not making a profit and it's for research, okay. But that's not what these people were about. They've got people on tape talking about trying to buy a Lamborghini with the money they're going to get from these kinds of practices and so forth. And it goes on and on. Anyways, he's prosecuted because of, uh, you know, because of, he, you know, apparently he got there, he got these undercover videos without their consent. Um, but they're committing far worse criminal acts. And that's okay. He gets prosecuted, they don't. Is that not upside down? PETA, People for the Ethical Treatment of Animals, um, came out uh, just recently, within the last couple of weeks, and they filed an amicus brief in a case now pending against this guy who took these undercover videos. And they said that the amica, amica, amici, um, uh, the, uh, well, that's, the, that's PETA, their friend of the court, Michi, have a strong interest in ensuring that individuals remain able to use undercover methods without consent. Because why? Because, because intent matters. Because it's more important. Because we have a scale of wrongs. And if somebody's trying to, you know, do something that's, uh, that, that, that's much more critical, I mean, excuse me, much more criminal, uh, if there's a much, you know, worse intent in selling baby body parts or, you know, doing something like that. Um, that's more important than the technical violation of, hey, taking a video without somebody's consent. I mean, you're doing actual harm to people or to animals. You know, I mean, Peter wants the ability to have undercover videos of people doing uh, harmful, cruel, painful things to animals. And sometimes they can only get that through undercover videos. You know, but you're actually causing pain to a sentient being. Peter's very concerned about that, and that's worse than actually taking a video, which doesn't physically hurt anybody. So Peter came out and filed this brief saying, hey, we've got to have this stuff. We've got to be able to do this. They said examples uh, include the use of investigative deception to reveal animal abuse. This is exactly why. So they came out in favor, uh, you know, in support of this Deladen guy. Um, you know, but if the authorities prosecute the guy taking the video um, and not the people actually doing the, you know, the wrong thing, what would it happen to Peter if... You know, people could, you know, maybe have, have dogs in, in, in involved in these, you know, horrible contests where these dogs are killing each other or whatever for sport. But you can't take an undercover video on it. Or if you did to expose that criminal activity, you're going to go to jail for taking the video. But the people having these dogs bite and claw and kill each other, well, they go, they don't get prosecuted at all. Is there not something that just on any kind of a common sense level to a three-year-old, a four-year-old, wouldn't, isn't there something that would seem wrong about that? Isn't it upside down? And can, can it be anything other than on a fundamental level, maybe on the level of truth, beauty, and goodness, faith, hope, and love, that somebody's got, you know, those ideas mixed up? Well, Ray, we, you know, with intent, it is all over our law. I'll give you the one small example. I'm walking down the street, and I trip and fall. And as I fall, I hit somebody, right? Can I be taken to – should I be sued for that because I did that? No, because there was no intent to harm. Yet if I take a swing at somebody, that would be harm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Abs- it, absolutely. Well, I think, I think we, uh, uh, we've talked this one out, uh, hopefully, uh, in, a, in a 
comprehensive or an interesting way. So we hope we've, we've done that. Uh, but because we are believers in hope, we're going to end this program uh, with a prayer. And I'm going to ask Mr. Hennigas, call you Mr., give you a little respect there. Thank you. Um, so please, uh, Bob, if you'd be so good as to give us a prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son, the Holy Spirit, amen. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for St. Paul's words. Thank you for words at last. Thank you for sending your Son. Mostly thank you for loving us. Allow us always to try to do what is right. And thank goodness you care about intent. You love us for the intent to be with you, even if we make mistakes, even if we sin, even if we do things that are crazy. You love us anyway. You care about our intent. You care about our desire to do well. And we ask that you continue to believe in us, to continue to allow us to do the best, and allow us, please, to take care of one another, to take care of others. It should be our intent to watch over all those that we're around and give us the strength and the courage, the love, the charity to do well by all of those that are around us every day that we live. We pray all this in the wonderful and glorious name of your Son, who is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, Son, Holy Holy Spirit. Spirit. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening. Hope you'll join us again. Until the next time, God bless.